0: Good afternoon, so I think this is going to, let me move this, excuse me, so this is going to set the record for the lowest preaching temperature that I have ever endured. Uh, this is a very cold room, um, so if you are here uh, in person today, thank you so much for being here. If you're at home um, in your warm Brooklyn apartment, I'm glad you're here with us as well. Um, it, it's, it's awesome. Uh, let's read from the book of Isaiah, uh, verse nine—or uh, sorry, chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So church, you don't need me to tell you that we just went through an exhausting election cycle in 2020. And no matter where you land on the political spectrum, I think you can agree with the following assessment that I'm about to read of how a leader often describes themselves when running for office. So I found this online, listen to this. It's a remarkable thing when someone running for president of the United States can, without blushing, promise that if elected, he or she will keep America safe, make America great again, restore our standing as leader of the free world, fix the mess in the Middle East, or usher in a new American century. The candidates might as well be saying to the American people, hey, vote for me. I am the person in Isaiah's prophecy, that's me. I'm the wonderful counselor, I'm the mighty God, I'm the everlasting father, I'm the prince of peace. Put the government on my shoulders and see what happens. Of the increase of my government and of peace, there will be no end. Isn't this why hope so quickly turns into despair in American politics? I mean, after all, the people that make claims like this are human, just like you, just like me. And their ability to accomplish all that they proclaim is, well, limited. Uh, Their power and their influence are finite. And that's what makes our text today so special. Jesus Christ, the son who's mentioned in Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7, he's infinite in his power. He has the ability to accomplish exactly what he proclaims. And so maybe we shouldn't be as surprised as we often are um, when politicians fail to deliver on their promises to make, to make everyone at peace during their tenure in office. Um, after all, aren't we putting our hopes in more of a wannabe savior rather than the real thing, Jesus? Now with that in mind, let's listen to the scripture again, and then we're going to dive in this morning. will do this. And the thing that I want us to focus on today is the phrase, the name Prince of Peace. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful name? Prince of Peace. Maybe you're not a Christian, maybe, maybe you're tuning in online, um, you're, t- you're checking the church thing out online, uh, maybe you're here and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, but if you were open to the idea of, of worshiping God, wouldn't the name Prince of Peace be a pretty desirable name? For God's Son? I mean, doesn't it feel like, especially in a year like this, we need a Prince of Peace even more than usual? And so, the first question that I have for you that I hope to answer today is Who is this Prince of Peace? Who is this Prince of Peace? So, let's uh, do a little bit of Bible study. Let's connect the dots a little bit and let's see what the Bible means when it talks about God as a God of Peace. Well, first of all, it's one of his names, right? Uh, we, just got a, we just got a listing in Isaiah 9 of one of the names of God, and that name is Prince of Peace. Um, peace is actually a part of God's character. It's a part of who he is. Uh, peace actually emanates out of him. <laughs> uh, in the New Testament, we see God described this way, uh, if you'll allow me a, a couple of verses. Uh, Romans 16, verse 20 says, "...and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly." 1 Corinthians 14, 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as, it is, as in all the churches of the saints. Ephesians 2, 4, For he himself, talking about God, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As you can see, church, our God is a God of peace. It is an integral part of his character. It is who he is. And so when Isaiah is prophesying about the birth of Christ and writes that Jesus will be the prince of peace, this is directly related to God's character attribute of peace. Uh, there's a direct connection here. Uh, furthermore, his peace is actually transferred to us. To be in his presence, to be in the presence of God, um, is to be in peace, if you're a believer, uh, despite whatever is going on around us. So no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what condition we are in, um, no matter what it seems like is falling apart around us, as a believer, if we are in the presence of God, we have the ability to be in peace. Um, Isaiah 26.3 says... You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Number six twenty six says The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Isaiah fifty four thirteen, the same book that we're reading from uh, today. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. And lastly, Galatians five twenty two, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. So who is this Prince of Peace? Jesus Christ, church, is the Prince of Peace. Christ is the Prince of Peace. He's fully God. He has all the character attributes that God has. Um, He is the peace that we look forward to experiencing in our lives and in all eternity. In church, Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. He came as the Prince of Peace so that we might have peace. And this is one of the things that we celebrate during the Advent season, right? Uh, I mean, this is one of the things we, we get excited about. We, we sing the Christmas songs, right, that we know a Peace on Earth, right? Peace on Earth, good will, I mean, you see, like, the artwork, um, Peace on Earth, and, and it'll have a picture of the nativity scene in the manger, right? Like, we see that often, right? Um, that's one of the things we celebrate. We get to celebrate the idea of the Prince of Peace coming during Advent. So question number two. What has the Prince of Peace done? What has the Prince of Peace done? And so first we've established that Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace of the whole world. It's Jesus. And so what has he done? Uh, Think about this. Throughout world history, every king and every ruler has desired peace for his people. Every king throughout world history, every ruler, they, they want peace in their time, they, they, they want peace in their, their country or their area of, of rulership. And interestingly enough, you may or may not know this, peace is explicitly listed as one of the goals of our own government, one of the purposes of our own government here in the United States. Um, if somebody were, you, were to ask you the question, hey, like, why is there a government um, in the United States, um, the preamble to the United States Constitution actually reads like this. It says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, remember that, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. Think about that phrase, domestic tranquility. Sounds a lot like peace, right? Domestic peace. To ensure peace, um, the writers of the Constitution, the founders of our government, they said to ensure peace, we want to have a government. Now, this is an admirable goal for a government, but sadly, it's one that no government can uphold. Um, It's extremely difficult, as we find, to actually uphold this. Um, Church, only Jesus Christ accomplishes this goal for us. This is what the Prince of Peace has done. And there's two ways that he's done this. Jesus gives us peace with God, and he also gives us the peace of God. So Jesus gives us peace with God and the peace of God. And so let's talk about the difference, right? Um, Those sound very similar, but they're actually two different things. Uh, Jesus gives us both, but they're not the same thing. First, peace with God. What is peace with God? peace with God comes from being forgiven of your sins and being reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus. That's how you get peace with God. And this happens, um, if you hear Christians talk about being saved or being converted or being born again, um, that is the moment where we say you get peace with God. God's wrath, once directed at us for our sin, is instead absorbed by Jesus in our place, And we get the free gift of eternal life, and that leads to peace with God. Um, Before being saved and becoming a Christian, the Bible says that we are actually arrayed against God in our sinfulness. We're like dug in against him. Uh, The Bible actually says that we are not at peace with God, but at at war, at odds with God. Um, But when Jesus saves us, he cleans our slate, and he presents us to God pure and clean, fully reconciled to him. And then we know God is Father. And we have peace. That's what it means to have peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's peace with God. What is the peace of God? The peace of God is a deep, personal, and spiritual peace that is not based on our circumstances. And the peace of God actually can act like an anchor in our lives when it seems like everything else is slipping away. So if you will, allow me to tell you the story of a man named Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford. He wrote the lyrics to the famous hymn, uh, we sing it here sometimes, uh, It Is Well. Horatio Spafford lived in the mid-1800s and was a successful lawyer and real estate investor in Chicago. He and his wife, Anna, had one son and four daughters, and they lived a life of philanthropy, giving, and service in their church, until 1871, that is. In that year, they lost their four-year-old son to scarlet fever. And a few months later, the Great Chicago Fire wiped out a majority of their property holdings. Um, Remember, he's a real estate investor. They made it through the next two years, until in 1873, tragedy struck again. The Spaffords had planned to visit Europe as a family, but business kept Horatio behind for a little while. And on the voyage, the ship that Anna and their four daughters were traveling on struck another vessel and sank rapidly. Um, Some accounts say that the ship sank in nine minutes. Um, Only Anna survived. She sent a hauntingly brief telegram to Horatio um, she, she sent him a, a telegram, a note, and it all, all it said was, saved alone. One can only imagine Spafford's grief upon receiving that telegram. Um, it must have been paralyzing in many ways. But on his own voyage to meet Anna, um, to, to, to go over to Europe and meet her where, where she was waiting, um, his ship passed by the place where his daughters had drowned, And at that moment, he was inspired to write the lyrics for the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Now, you guys know I'm not the singing pastor at Crossroads. Uh, There is another who holds that title. Um, But if you will, let me read you the lyrics of It Is Well. Because it has everything to do with the peace of God. Here are the lyrics. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, Let this blessed assurance control That Christ has regarded my helpless estate And shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, O oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord o oh my soul can you imagine writing those lyrics at the spot at the scene of such tragedy in your own life can you imagine the loss that this man and his wife endured the peace that is evident in being able to write lyrics like this is Church, a supernatural peace. That is not normal. The lyrics of this hymn do not downplay tragedy, they do not downplay pain, but they are instead designed to refocus our hearts in the midst of it. And the thing that they want us to to focus on is God's faithfulness and Christ's saving work. This, my friends, is the is an example, um, one but of many throughout Christian history, but this is an example of what the peace. Of God is that we're talking about today. Now, interestingly enough, these two types of peace are connected. And oftentimes, we find this connection come home in the church, in in, in what the church, which is described as the body of Christ. We we find these two types of peace, peace with God and peace of God. And there's one pastor that I found when I was doing some research, um, he had actually preached on the same passage. And he said this, he said, Those of us who have been reconciled to God now enjoy peace with God. Because of this peace with God, we can enjoy peace with one another, with those who are united to Christ as members of his body, of his church. And so basically what he's saying is the vertical peace we have with God translates into a horizontal peace that we can enjoy with one another in the church. And so what has Jesus, the Prince of Peace, done? What has he done? He gives us both the peace with God and the peace of God. Question three that I hope to answer for you today. Why do we need the Prince of Peace in 2020? Why do we need the Prince of Peace in 2020? So as you may know, during Advent, we celebrate and anticipate the coming of the Prince of Peace of the whole world. It's a time of eager anticipation. We celebrate the coming of Jesus. Jesus. And remember, when Jesus came on earth, during his life on earth, he brought peace to many, the Bible says. The Bible says he taught them how to be saved. The Bible says he taught, Jesus taught people how to have their sins forgiven. The Bible says Jesus taught people how to be reconciled to God. And Jesus showed them how to love one another. And when people encountered Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, when they encountered him, they began to experience the kind of peace that led them to worship him as God. And in the same way today, we too have a need for the Prince of Peace to be the Lord of all in our lives. And church, although these things are really, really hard to predict because we don't know what the future holds, um, I'm willing to say 2020 will likely go down as one of the most tumultuous years in world history, at least in our time, at least in our era, if you will. Uh, It seems like this year, everything was uprooted right out from underneath us. And if you're sitting here today or you're sitting at home online joining us, you know what the things are in your lives that were ripped away and that ripped away the peace that you had or that you thought you had and replaced it with anxiety and worry and fear. You know what those things are. And the reason that we need the Prince of Peace in 2020 is the same reason the world needed the Prince of Peace 2,000 years ago when Jesus was born. You see, our world's broken. Our world is marred by sin. It's marred by sin's destructive effects. And people generally, if you look around, (laughs) are not at peace with God or at peace with one another. Instead, it seems like strife seems to find its way wherever people are gathered. And sadly, sometimes we even see this happen within the church. Church, we need the Prince of Peace. We need Jesus Christ because our sinful human hearts our own hearts cannot find peace on their own. And church, it's only through Christ's power that our hearts can be changed, that our sins can be forgiven, and that our striving against God and one another can finally cease. Now, some of you may know, um, from time to time here at Crossroads, we offer a class, and it's called Financial Peace. Um, I, I lead that class a lot of the time. Some of you guys have been through it. But, um, it's, it's called Financial Peace. Now, I didn't make up that title. Um, that is a term and a class that was invented by a man named Dave Ramsey. Uh, Dave Ramsey is a personal finance expert, you might say. Um, he's also a Christian. And many of his financial principles and teachings are actually rooted in the scriptures. I mean, they are Bible-based. And um, interestingly enough, he has a nationally syndicated radio show and podcast. It's one of the most popular podcasts out there. Um, he he says this at the end of every episode. This is what he says on air to millions of people who tune into him uh, each and every day. He says, "Remember, there's ultimately only one way to financial peace, and that's to walk daily with the Prince of Peace, Christ Jesus." And what Dave Ramsey is saying within his area of expertise, which is money and personal finance, that's like he's an expert on those things, is that no matter what else you try to do in your life to try to achieve financial peace, you will fall short of obtaining the peace apart from a relationship in Jesus. And he says this nationally to millions of people um, here in the United States and around the world every day. But I want to take that a little bit further. I want to take what he says and build on it a little bit. I want you to think. Pick an adjective that you can insert before the word peace. So Dave Ramsey says financial peace. You think about your adjective. Maybe it's emotional peace. Maybe yours is financial peace. Maybe it's physical peace. Maybe it's relational peace. Maybe it's familial peace, like peace in your family. Maybe it's occupational peace. So peace in your job or your career. Maybe it's inner peace um, or outer peace that you're looking for. Um, I call those adjective pieces. Those are adjective pieces. So whatever adjective piece that you're looking for, I'd be willing to say to you, you might get the adjective, but you won't get the peace. You might get the adjective. You might get the emotional. You might get the financial. You might get the relational. You might get the occupational. You might get the relationship you want, but you won't get the peace. You might get the job you want, but you won't get the peace. You might get the financial thing that you want or goal that you're trying to hit, but not the peace. Church, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, we will never be at peace. And all of those adjectives are lesser created things that are designed to point us to our Creator. And they're all temporary, and they're all fading But God is calling us, I believe, as a church and as a people, as Christians, God is calling us, especially in a year like 2020, to look beyond the temporary, to look beyond what's right in front of us, because there's a lot right in front of us, but instead to look ahead to the eternal peace that's found only in his son, Jesus Christ. And God knows this is what we need. God knows this is what we need. Church, don't we all long for peace? Don't we, isn't, like, like, deep down, isn't that something that we just long for? And not on a temporary level, but, like, a lasting peace level. I mean, don't we long for the kind of peace described in Horatio Spafford's life when he wrote it as well? A peace that anchors us in the midst of severe storms? Well, church, I have good news. I have good news this Advent season. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, has come. He's ready to come and make his home within you. The Bible says if you repent of your sins and if you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, God's son, that you will be saved. The Bible says that we can have both peace with God and the peace of God in our lives. And this Christmas, the greatest gift, despite whatever you bought on Black Friday, um, because I was right there clicking online with you, the greatest gift, the greatest one, remains the gift of Jesus Christ's salvation that he offers to all who will repent and believe. And so, church, we're going to have a time of response now here in our service. And there's a couple ways that you can go ahead and respond to what you've heard today through the worship through singing and and through what's mentioned in God's word about the Prince of Peace. Um, The first way is to repent and believe. If you are not a believer, if you are not a follower of Jesus, if you have never turn from your sin and ask him to forgive you and to give you new life Um, if you haven't done that you can do that now there's not not a barrier that's too big for you to take that step and that's something that you can do during our time of response right where you are in your seat you can pray to God and you can ask him to forgive you and if you want to know more about that you can ask to speak to me, you can ask to speak to uh, Pastor Will, you can ask to speak to one of our deacons we'd be glad to talk with you about that the second is communion. Um, when you entered, you received uh, a prepackaged bread and cup. And this is one of the ways that we respond uh, in, our, in our corporate gatherings together, in, in our church services. And Jesus told us that anytime time we take of the bread and of the cup, it represents his broken body and his shed blood, that we should do so to remember who he is and what he has done for us. And so that's a way you can respond now. You, you can take that now in your seats using the prepackaged cracker and juice that you received upon entering today. And Josh is going to begin um, playing soon and leading us to worship in song. Um, but just for a moment where you are, take a moment to respond however you need to respond. Um, we create a time for this each and every week. Take a moment to respond where you are, however you need to. And in a moment, Josh will lead us in our next worship song. Thanks.